Hey, welcome everybody to the Family Life Canada podcast. We're Neil and Cheryl Josephson, the National Directors for Family Life Canada. And several months ago, Family Life Canada hosted an online parenting conference and David and Lisa Elliott were two of our teachers. And Neil and I were so captivated by their teaching and by their story that we asked them to come onto the podcast to share a little bit more and um, spread their wisdom a little more broadly. So David and Lisa live in Ottawa, uh, where they've been in pastoral ministry for 30 years. At the moment, David's senior pastor at Alta Vista Baptist Church. And Lisa's a speaker and an mm -hmm. award-winning author, and we're so glad to have you. They've got four adult children, one of whom is with the Lord, uh, and three grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Their son, Ben, pastor. Four grandchildren, we're being corrected, four. That happens, doesn't it? <laughs> four and more to come, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, thanks, four. And their son, Ben, passed away after mm -hmm. a long battle with cancer in 2009. And uh, that's still a grief. And we're going to talk about some of that today. And Lisa has written about that in a book called The Ben Ripple and Dancing in the Rain. Mm -hmm. And David and Lisa have come alongside many, many people. And that's why we invited you on this uh, podcast. So thanks. I know this costs something to you guys, mm -hmm. but it's so important. And we're so grateful. Wow. This is uh, just an honor to, to be with you guys and hang out for a little bit and share a little bit of our hearts and our story. And uh, yeah. We're glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Elisa, you and I have been emailing back and forth a little bit for several months, putting this podcast together. And I, I just need to publicly say I've grown to really love you via email. It's, you know. <laughs> it's uh, one of those God relationships I'm grateful for. And But one of those exchanges happened on August the 19th, which happened to be the 12th anniversary, which is, as, as you mentioned to me, that's a weird name for that day, but it's the 12th anniversary mm. of Ben's promotion to heaven, as you, as you call it. And that really affected me. I thought of you all day and prayed for you both mm. all day and your family and, and um, just kind of really entered into your grief on that day. So um, can you tell mm. us a little bit about your Ben? Tell us about your son. Wow. <laughs> he, uh, of all four of our kids, was probably the strongest will. Mm. Uh, even in my womb, I just knew this kid was going to be an athlete because he bruised my ribs and just had his way right in making more room for him in the womb, I guess. And uh, anyhow, when he was born, he was true to nature and he just put up a good fight at every turn. Um, strong will would be the, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of him. Yeah, he definitely was determined. Um but his his motive often was he wanted things to be done right or well, and he loved people. I remember at the funeral, one teacher spoke, and he said, uh, he used the phrase, it's nice to be nice. And Ben was just one of those guys, that, one of those kids that people just kind of liked being around, whether work or sports or whatever. Uh, he had a great sense of humor, had the ability to laugh at most situations, not take himself too seriously. Um, you know, we had, and, and we talked even after he died, um, as various people were talking to us and interviewing us, we said, but he wasn't perfect. Like he, you know, he, he was a work in progress, like all of us. And he would fight with us or with his siblings, or he would, you know, whatever it might be, uh, usually again, from a position feeling that he was right, not necessarily rebellious. He just thought he was always right. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, obviously, when he died, there was a, a huge hole in our home and around our table, and uh, hmm. uh, because he had such a an impact upon all of us yeah. in our family. But we've really worked to since his death to not make him larger than life, right. oh, you know, yeah. because I think 
some people have that tendency yeah. to, oh, my loved one this, or even glamorize uh, their loved one at a funeral or something. No, we've kept it pretty real. Mm. So, but he was, and he still is that to us. And you, could you clarify for the listeners uh, where he fit into the birth order and how many years you got a chance to walk with him before he passed? Yep. Our oldest daughter uh, is Natalie. Uh, she lives in Manitoba, and she's the one raising our four children uh, with her husband. Or her grandchildren. <laughs> her children. Her grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Ben was after her, born okay. 18 months later. Okay. And then we have another son, Jacob, who was born two years after that. And then our youngest daughter, Erin, uh, she was born two years after Jacob. So Yeah. And so Ben was the first male born. So there was often a battle between the firstborn, true firstborn Natalie, and then the firstborn male. Oh. Uh, and and he uh he we we were blessed with him for nineteen years. Yeah. Okay. Oh man. Okay. Huh. So so we know that people process trauma and grief in ways that are unique to them for a myriad of reasons. So I'm yep. thinking of the two of you and how you process this deep grief and your three other children who <laughs> processed it. What have you learned mm -hmm. about the differences of how to live honestly in all the different ways we handle grief? Well, we learned very early uh, in our relationship, even in our dating relationship, that we are very different yeah. and respond to life very differently, look at life very differently. And I think what we've learned in our uh, journey through Ben's leukemia through that year and then since uh, since his death, so through our grief journey, um, that those differences are just accentuated mm -hmm. and really magnified. Um, so... All of us have always been the different that we are, but it's really been mm. enhanced. <laughs> yeah, so so Lisa, much more of a verbal processor, much more of a kind of a person person. I'm even a little bit quieter, not as many words. So even during when Ben was sick, she would, uh, you know, she'd be on the computer sending out, you know, Facebook updates, et cetera. And Ben and I'd be saying, why is she talking to so many people about so much stuff? Well, that, you know, after after he died, she was much more sort of looking back, reflective, those kind of things. I was much more, we got to do some things mm. to remember our son. And, and that created some, some friction. I, I was wanting to put things up on walls and read books and she was wanting to not put things up because it was too painful. So we learned really like, even when he was sick, but after he died, there was these friction points mm. where, uh, we were so different, um, and we had to give each other space. Probably the culmination, honestly, probably the greatest example was when we were told Ben didn't have long to live. Um, ben, ben kind of decided he'd like to come home if he could. Ben and his father decided together yes. that they would yes. like to bring him home. And, and <laughs> so, um, and usually with the kind of leukemia he had, that is not normal because there can be a lot of not pleasant complications at the end. Hmm. But we got Ben and I got talking, and we kind of decided that, that this is the best thing. And, and Lisa wasn't there, and so that evening and the next morning, we literally took down all of the stuff in his hospital room, the posters, the whole packed everything up. So when she came in the next morning, she's like, "Yeah, not impressed." I so just just the arrangement for uh, most of the year. Just so you know, he was sick for the twelve months. He spent six, or for a whole year, six of those months he spent in hospital. Hmm. So at different hmm. intervals being treated and, you know. Uh, so when we were there at the hospital, uh, we also had a hotel room, which was just a parking lot away. 
Got it. And so, yeah, I, I just had gone away for the night and came in the next morning and it was packed up and I, I asked what was going on and they said, we're going home. And I said, said, said who, like who made this decision? So David wanted to pass it off on our son, Ben, but I'm <laughs> thinking he's got chemo radiation brain. I don't think that he did this alone. And so it was not pleasant. And I no. remember rallying the whole medical team into our room and saying like, you need to come in and speak some sense into my husband and my son, because they've kind of lost their minds mm -hmm. and I'm not going to do that. Wow. So that was, you know, that's maybe the culmination of an extreme example. But from that point on, even and into our grief, we, we learned really quick that we didn't see it differently. Um, we did see it differently. We did see yeah. it differently. And uh, we had to give each other space. Yeah. We had to talk. We were brutally honest all the way through. Sometimes we did things alone because the other person just didn't want to. And then as far as our kids, uh, each of them was different. Do you want to talk about kind of the, the kids? Yeah, like um, Natalie, she was the runner. Hmm. So, in fact, two days after Ben's funeral, she got on a plane. We took her to the, to the airport, and uh, she was involved in a ministry um, that was in another province. In and, yeah, it was based in Winnipeg, and it took her across the nation. And she was happy to just, the farther she ran, the better she was, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, she didn't see the camera, the camera didn't see her kind of mm -hmm. approach. And so we just prayed her, uh, prayed for her and thank God he ran after her mm -hmm. and found her just what he needed and just made that reconciliation. It was a beautiful thing. Yeah. And then our son, our son, Jacob, uh, he's a quiet imploder. So we had to leave him alone. If we tried to talk to him, if he wanted to talk, it was precious because he would every once in a while, revealing words how he was feeling but most of the time if we tried words he just you know so he played his guitar and sang and mm. had time alone mm. and then our daughter Erin just wanted to be near us mm. and processed a little bit verbally um and i would say really since that time we continue to see that evolving as they get older their grief is changing they're feeling things differently mm -hmm. missing different things about their brother and well, part of that is they say that if a child loses a sibling, they grieve forward, like a child grieves forward. So mm -hmm. we've now experienced two family weddings. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And right. so at both of those weddings, the, uh, our daughter and our son, um, they, they had to find a way to bring Ben into it. And it was, it was difficult. You know, we learned that joy and pain can coexist yeah. because that's oh, what yeah. happened on both of those occasions. No, I was just gonna say, I think that's a piece that a lot of people miss, hmm. uh, is that there, that joy and pain can coexist, I think. Hmm. And, hmm. and we somehow feel disloyal if we feel one thing or the other, when we think we should be feeling this hmm. or, hmm. so I, I right. can only imagine the complicated emotions in your children and in you. And I guess I, I'd like to ask you what, because you know, this as a fact, Lots of couples go their separate ways after they've had a, a trauma or a crisis like this in their marriage. So I'm curious to know what practices or routines the two of you built into your life in this, well, it's really a long decade of grief that have helped you stay in touch with each other. And you said brutal honesty or, or really, yeah. I shouldn't say brutal honesty, but really you know, no, it, it's been brutal. brutal. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but you can say that. <laughs> yeah, brutal is good. Huh. Well, I, I think there's been a few things. One is I think both of us are, have been pretty strong all the way along with being in 
pretty intentional about connecting every single day. Um, so what that looked like, certainly when Ben was in hospital for those off and on for those six months, uh, you know, a hospital room is not a great place for communication. It's busy and stuff. So I would walk her back to the hotel every night and we would take that walk and often longer as a checkpoint every day. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it was wonderful because we were just sort of processing and talking. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there was tears. Sometimes there was anger and frustration, mm-hmm. but we just every night checked in and then beyond it was, that it was just let me add that um it was the only time we had any privacy right at all right. for an entire year mm-hmm. you know including like i mean there was no time for intimacy at all mm-hmm. because you know one of us or both of us were in our brains and hearts you know back at the ho- at the uh, hospital room mm-hmm. so but, but that's an example of the kind of things that we would talk about honestly yeah. on those those times and then and then we also had the practice of and before and after this but of each morning just having our own time with the lord but also with each other and just letting conversation go where it needs to but but that was that's those are pretty locked in sacred right. nobody stops those kind of times um, but then beyond that we also just made sure we had room for there are times where you need longer talk right you go for a walk you go for a drive and i and i agree i think the biggest thing was um, nothing was off limits. We talked about everything and anything, and most of it, you know, was difficult, right? Because of the circumstances, not just about Ben, but about us and about our kids mm-hmm. and about people that were frustrating us in the medical thing or visitation or whatever it was. But we just, um, and I think that helped, even though it was painfully hard, it helped us stay together because yeah. it really felt like we we're in this together, even though sometimes we were combating against each other. For the most part, we felt we're in this together. And interestingly, uh, just to add to that, Ben was very sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in fact, he um, wanted to gift us with a night away at a hotel in downtown Toronto. You know, mom and dad, it's your anniversary. Mm-hmm. What are you doing here? You need to go away. Mm-hmm. Here's some money. You know, I mean, he just, wow. and we looked at each other and thought like, okay, who's the crazy one here? Um so we, mm-hmm. we found a way to honor him in his care for us because I think he knew it was important that, um, yeah, that we were together on things because he obviously was with us all the time and he is pretty perceptive. He could pick yeah. up when yeah. tension was rising. And yeah. so we did actually go to a hotel room, but it was just five minutes down the street from the, yeah. the hospital, a different <laughs> hotel than where we lived. Um yeah, and I and I mean, if I can fast forward to his very last day with us, um, things were pretty. Like, I mean, not pretty. They were very, very intense between us, um, driving us apart that last day, uh, mm-hmm. especially because mm-hmm. I was so angry that we had come home. Mm-hmm. So we did come home for Ben's last ten days, not knowing how long he had, but. Uh, when we got home, I was, I was just throwing things around and, you know, it's your turn. You know, I'm not, I'm not being the nurse anymore. I just want to be his mom, which was really the battle of my heart. Why do I have to be the nurse as I'm saying goodbye to my son, you know? And anyhow, um, and uh, that, last that, that last day, uh, we had a time, uh, just mm-hmm. a, alone with Ben, uh, we had decided we were going to do a night watch. We were all just sensing something's up here and, and the wind has shifted. Our daughters were both away at a youth event that night. Our son, Jacob decided to opt out of that. So he was with us. We got chit chatting about golf games and golf shots and you know, all that kind of thing. 
But finally, it got to the point, uh, Ben just finally quietly said, um, Dad, I, I'm too tired to golf right now. Mm. And it got really hushed. Mm. And uh, and then David said, you know, like, um, you know, mom, mom was pretty upset about bringing you home. You know that, Ben. And he said, mm-hmm. And he, he looked at me with his eyes closed because at that point, I mean, he was in his last hours, which we weren't aware of, but he looked at me and he said, are you okay now, Zumas, which was his nickname for me. And um, I said, yeah, you know, Ben, I'm, I'm really glad we brought you home, but it's been hard. Hmm. And I remember him checking in on us, right? Like that was his, his moment of, hmm. are you guys okay? Can I go now? Because if you're not okay and you're not together, hmm. I don't know that I can go. And it was just his way of, making sure we were connected. So I know that's a very long answer to your question, Cheryl, about, mm -hmm. you know, how did we stay connected? But I don't want to take all the credit between the two of us because Ben was very aware that we needed that connection. Well, and part of, part of our commitment to that honesty was we recognize if, if we're off kilter, it's not just us off kilter. Now, now our kids are off kilter because yeah. they feel it. They said, yeah. Or Ben's off kilter because yeah. he knows we're not happy with each other. So yeah. part of us resolving stuff was a blessing to our kids. Yeah. But what? that's just another layer of pressure, though, too. Sort of like, okay, now we, we've yeah. got to stay on the same page and cope with all of this going on. But it strikes me listening to you guys talk that you had some good patterns in place yeah. ahead of time. Yeah. Work with the Lord and your communication with each other, those things were in place. Um, the time to start investing in a walk with God that's meaningful and relational and deep is not when a crisis hits. Right. You know, the time right. to do that is way before that, right. so that we have the resource to dig into when that well goes dry on our own. Yeah. And it's not that you can't start in a crisis, because I think all of us yeah. maybe engage deeper or more. But yeah, the idea that that sometimes when the waters are calm, that's when you learn to you know put some things, you know, put some wood in the in the woodshed mm -hmm. before the snow flies, right? And and um, we're very thankful for that. Again, we don't take credit for that. Those are just things that I think life also taught us along the way that uh, we need to be building our marriage every single day because stuff is going to happen, mm -hmm. and when it does happen, we need to have those. We need to have those practices ready to go without having to create them. Mm -hmm. Oh, so well That's said. That's a great, great word, and I'm glad you had those. Please, listeners, pay attention to those words. It's so important. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about, about faith, your, your people of faith, as are we, as is Family Life Canada? Uh, we have people listening, and we welcome everybody, wherever they're at on their uh, relationship to God and to Jesus. And so wherever you're listening from, it's all good. Uh, I would love to hear you, David and Lisa, just speak a little more, even more directly, because you have been. But even more directly, how, how did faith play to sustain you? Sometimes faith complicates the question. Mm. Um, and because the two of you could be at different faith spots. and your Talk about faith and the interplay with your story and with Ben's life and death. Well, I'm glad that, first of all, Neil, you... Uh, you prefaced this question with it's faith can complicate things <laughs> because I think where it complicates it is people make assumptions. Uh, you know, even our medical staff, it was no secret. I mean, it was out there uh, the nurses, I would go outside of Ben's hospital room and the nurses would be on Facebook reading my most recent 
faith update. Some one of my Facebook followers called it a faith book mm-hmm. instead of a Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but what people didn't realize was, you know, we we had our, our hematologist, Ben's hematologist, say, and, and many would say, Oh, don't worry, you know, your faith will see you through. And yeah, <laughs> I suppose that puts a lot of pressure on us and our faith. And so I would kind of kindly rephrase that and say, well, it's not about our faith. It's the object of our faith. Mm-hmm. And, and the object of our faith just happens to be Jesus Christ, who is our anchor and our rock and our solid ground, uh, because everything else is shifting sand right now, mm-hmm. you know? And so I would say that, yeah, faith could easily complicate things. Um, and uh, you Go might, uh, um, there's my brain is just on fire at the moment. Well, well, Connor, I would just say one of the things we discovered was um, what we said we believed actually got tested during this time and still does. Mm-hmm. But for example, um, I'd often said, you know, that our kids are not our own. These are God's kids. They're on loan to us. We're stewards of our children. It's sort of the Abraham and Isaac principle, you know, lay your kids on the altar because they're not yours. Sure. Um, Makes a great sermon. Hard to live. Right. Hmm. And so I found, again, we were challenged saying, okay, this is what we say we believe. Do we believe it? And, and we really do believe it. Hmm. And we're very thankful that, that Ben is God's. But that helps you. When you get to the bottom of that, it helps you to release some things and to release your son ultimately, hmm. but all the steps along the way. Or another one was God's sovereignty. Oh, yeah, God's sovereign. He has a plan and a purpose and, you know, and it's like, well, but if God has a plan and a purpose, why is this happening? And and that whole idea that God's sovereignty doesn't mean I always get what I want. It means God's sovereign and he's in charge. And um, during this experience, uh, someone said that God's sovereignty is a hard truth to understand, but it's a soft place to land. Mm-hmm. And we felt that. We felt, mm-hmm. boy, there are times where we're wrestling. We don't understand, God, why would this happen or this happen this way or whatever? But Again, you get to the bottom of that. It's like, but I really do believe God's sovereign, mm-hmm. and I really do believe He has a plan and a purpose. Mm-hmm. And even if I don't agree with it, um, and then and then honesty with God. You, I don't, well, we don't talk about that, but yeah, I was I was just gonna segue from there. Hang on that because um, one of the most profound Bible passages that grabbed a hold of my heart, the Holy Spirit just took it and He shook it to its foundation. Was the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Hmm. And um, I remember reading that and coming back to the, read it in my hotel room, came back to the hospital that next morning and pulled the PSW and, uh, and one of Ben's nurses aside. And I said, okay, I know you don't even believe what I'm saying, but this is where I'm at today. And I'm struggling big time because I've just been in God's word and I know you don't, you've never even read it, but here's what it said to me. So I, like, I literally cornered them. And I said, it's a story of these two sisters who lost their brother and begged for Jesus to come. (laughs) And he said he didn't show up in time to save his life. I said, no, his glory came through, you know, because he did resurrect him. And I said, I have that promise and that hope. But I said, where I'm wavering today in my faith is what if he shows up too late? (laughs) Because God can, I know he's able, but will he? Mm. And that was a huge wrestling point. And then um, I remember too, just, just the 
just being honest with that, just, I mean, Martha showed me a lot through that mm -hmm. passage too. I mean, and Mary, they were both very real in their faith mm -hmm. and they both expressed the same words, but from very different perspectives to Jesus, like Jesus, where have you been? Right. You know, if you had only been here, our brother would still be alive. You know, there's that whole story there, but, uh, but just what I learned through both of them was to keep it real and to be mm -hmm. honest, mm -hmm. uh, because Jesus can handle that. God's got big shoulders, right. you know, and right. he's, he just wants us to cast right. our cares and our hurts and our struggles and our questions upon him. And mm -hmm. I remember not denying myself those questions, but somehow the strength that he was fueling me with just by spending that time every day with him and his word and asking the hard questions, the one question I didn't ask, and it's not because I didn't allow myself, I just didn't feel the need to ask was the question, why? Hmm. You know, I don't think any of us, even our kids were asking, and, and especially Ben, it wasn't like, why me? And why now? And why not him or her? I mean, uh, you can actually, there's a, a link on YouTube where you can actually listen to Ben uh, 10 days before he died. Wow. He actually spoke to our church family wow. and he, he addresses that. Um, on, so you can YouTube it, Ben Elliott Stratford. Okay. Um, that anyhow, that's a side note, but, uh, I remember after he died, it was the first Easter. So he had passed, he was diagnosed in August. He died in August the following year. And then it was that next Easter, um, we were going to attempt our first family trip. And there was only four of us going uh, because Natalie was hmm. traveling the nation and all. And anyhow, we, we went away and we went down to Myrtle Beach. And again, I took my Bible with me, sat there on the, the balcony this one morning and, and was just rehearsing the whole Easter story. And, and it occurred to me that on the cross, Jesus himself asked why. Hmm. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hmm. And I had never heard him ask that before. You know, we've heard how many countless Easter messages. But I remember going for a walk later that morning with David along the beach, and I was never so thankful for waves of the ocean mm -hmm. to just wash over my words and my lamenting, mm -hmm. you know, as I just poured it out and, and allowed myself to ask mm -hmm. why. Because mm -hmm. I thought, you know, if Jesus could do that, mm -hmm. surely I can mm -hmm. ask too. Yeah. Uh, just yesterday at church, I was talking to a couple after church who have three adult kids. All three kids are going through horrendous deep mm. waters right now. Mm. And these parents were both weeping, broken yesterday. And the dad said, I just feel like I wish I could get alone and just yell and scream at God. You know, why? Mm. And I basically said, that's what you need to do. Yeah. That's exactly oh, what yeah. you need to do. <laughs> And I think sometimes we think that God is shocked with our questions or mm. our emotions. And he gave us these emotions. So if we're going to be honest with each other, we got to be honest with God. Yeah. And that's okay. Brutally honest in your work, Cheryl. Okay. 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 Yeah. Well, and just referencing that Martha, Mary, Lazarus story, uh, one thing that's recently been um, highlighted to me was the fact that Jesus cried, Jesus wept mm -hmm. in the middle of that, even though he knew he was going to heal Lazarus and restore him to full life again, he still wept. And I think it's, you know, just experiencing another person's pain. Jesus wept along with the sisters mm -hmm. in their, in their grief. I guess I'd like to turn that into a question and ask you, did you find that people were able to enter into your grief with you? How, 
what were some of the helpful things that people did um, for you and with you or said to you in this grieving process that, that really helped? Well, I was away from all of those people. I didn't go to church for a year because Ben was, his immunity was compromised. And uh, so for me personally, I would hearsay <laughs> through him or the kids of how many lasagnas were in our freezer. You know, I mean, our, our youngest daughter, Erin, she now has an aversion to lasagna because it brings her right back. Mom, I think we have eight lasagnas in our freezer. Tell people stop. <laughs> but I mean, that was a, an amazing gift to me to know that people were providing meals. Um, they were cleaning our home. They were doing yard work. They were giving us gift cards for gas, for Tim Hortons coffee, um, you know, those kind of things. So they entered in very appropriately. Um, well, I was going to say, there's a lot of Marys and a lot of Marthas. So there was a lot of Marthas doing those practical things. And I'm telling you, those are huge blessings when you're going through tough times because you don't have energy or a brain. And then there were the Marys that also stepped in that, uh, that had the ability to just be, they didn't talk very much. They didn't overpower us with mm -hmm. their plans or what they thought we should be doing, or they just listened. They were just available. Those were huge blessings. And then, and then there were those people that said too much, tried to force their will upon us. Some of the ones that we struggled with the most sometimes were um, sort of people of faith who, who again would say, well, you know, if Ben just had enough faith or if you just had enough faith, you can just tell the cancer to leave. Or if you ate more blueberries or asparagus or mm. in the last week he was alive, somebody dropped off in our home two little electro wire things with batteries saying, try this, this should do it. And so some of the things you just, you're actually shocked. Mm. Um, uh, Job's counselors are still alive and well today. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, our friends, but there are many. Thankfully, God brings, and sometimes they surprise you. Uh, sometimes the people you think might be there for you or respond a certain way. And, and a lot of times it's not because they're do, they're not mean. They just don't know what to say or do. Yeah. We've done many right. stupid things, right. said many stupid things. So it's not that. It's just that I think some who have gone through some deep waters themselves have mm -hmm. a better understanding as to what a person going through tough times needs. Yeah. And a lot of it is just support, quiet support and availability and practical gifts. Those are huge. Mm -hmm. I think a, a lot of people have trouble with others who are in trouble. Right. I, I think we all run into that, you know, from time to time. We want to help. We don't know how to help. And so we uh, either project the kind of help we think that, you know, that person needs or, uh, but the best remedy is really to get you over this hurt. If I can just make you happy, if we could just get back to the way we used to be, if we could just get over this very quickly, then we could all return to whatever that was. Yeah. And, um, and we've both learned that that is not at all. I have yet to, since our own grief entered in, uh, to our own realm, I have yet to hear anyone who wouldn't agree, uh, who has been through a, a grief journey themselves that, you know, nobody, you just want company in it. You want somebody to be there with you, not get you over where you are, hmm. you know, get or hurry you through. Hmm. Uh, you just want somebody who will be there and not say a word and not, we call them, you know, spiritual band-aids, you know, oh, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know, like, yes, we all know this, but what do we really know? Because those mm -hmm. are the first three words in that verse is, and we know. Mm -hmm. So what do we know? Because those are the things we have to cling to 
Yeah. Uh, and they have nothing to do with us. They have everything to do with God and who he is in our lives. But hmm. all that to say that um, God's word is a beautiful thing and it's a, a very applicable resource for us. But don't slap that on people uh-huh. who are dealing with the depths of life on this earth. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well said. Well mm-hmm. said. You know, uh, we often like to preach and teach and look forward to identifying with the victory and the hope that's in Jesus. There's also Jesus is described as a man of sorrows. Yeah. Acquainted with grief. Well, acquainted with grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think there's potentially, if we're honest, a unique closeness to mm-hmm. Christ in those moments amidst the hurt and confusion and the loss. There's an intimacy with Jesus, this this fellow journeyer into grief, right? It's the fellowship of the suffering. Yeah. He invites us to understand and suffer with him, the suffering servant, right? But you only get there if, if we're honest on it. And I, I, I'm overwhelmed with your story, actually. Mm-hmm. For 12 years uh, and a few more days uh, after uh, Ben's passing, you have the perspective of some distance. How has this all mm-hmm. changed you hmm. uh, as individuals, uh, in your as marriage, a couple? Yeah. In your ministry? Our answer might surprise you just, <laughs> just a little heads up. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do a few pros and cons or good sure. news, bad news. But first thing I would simply say is that it, it really has changed our family. Like mm-hmm. that whole analogy of, you know, six chairs around the table and all of a sudden one's gone. It's just never, it feels out of balance. Yeah. To this day, it feels out of balance. So, um, so that sounds very negative and it, and it is painful, but it, but there's also a lot of great stuff. Like we look at our three kids are, that are here with us still, and we are so proud of how they've in their own way processed. Hmm. They're still in process, but hmm. God's done some work in them that never would have happened apart from so What's changed or, you know, as we look back, well, our family hmm. is very different and, and we're looking forward to reunion day, but not yet. Right. But as far as the good and bad, which way do you want to go? <laughs> I don't know. I'm the aunt. <laughs> okay. Well, let me look here. Um, we did jot down a few things as we were thinking about this. Um, we'll just go as we go. And okay. Sure. Well, some of, yeah. some of the good things. Okay. So yeah. how about we change as we look back? We're, we're definitely, um, we are better, I think, by God's grace at reaching into hurting lives mm. um, and we, than we used to be. You know, I was a pastor. I would do a funeral. I think, well, the funeral's done. We're done. Mm. Like, next. And, and I realize now, like, that's that mm. the, the process of caring it for somebody. It wasn't next. I, uh, let no, me no. just qualify this because my husband is a shepherding pastor and okay, but, has always entered into the degree that he's been able to and be sensitive to the needs yes. of those he's been ministering to in a grieving situation. However, however, <laughs> until you go through grief, you really don't have a clue yeah, what they're right. going through. Right. So not that I, because again, we don't know what other people, nobody can really experience somebody else's grief, but I think we're better, both of us at being sensitive, speaking less, listening mm-hmm. more, you know, the fact that we've been running Grief Share for about 10 years, 11 years now has allowed us to just walk into lives. But but beyond that, just quite apart from a program, people walking into our lives, I think we're just better aware and better able. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't, we don't, 
aren't so quick to try to fix or solve it. Mm-hmm. It's again, as Lisa said, just, just being there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to, I mean, and I'll own this, but I used to be one of those people who came in thinking that I needed to make everybody happy. Like mm-hmm. everybody's so sad here. We need happy. We need happy. And, um, and I've learned that that's not the way to do it. You know, you don't, make people happy you enter into where they're at period you know if they're having a happy moment laugh with them sure and feel Mm -hmm. free to do that but if they're sad don't try to you know but but i was the queen of that i would say before Hmm. Uh, so that that has completely changed in my life um i think we've already said it too just the importance of listening just Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. and i i am the verbal processor and i ranted you know Mm -hmm. and i thankfully i didn't rant on just about everybody um uh, but I had some very select few that got some pretty choice ranting mm-hmm. and it was pretty honest and they just took it mm-hmm. and they listened and. And you, and you're much into this day. That's part of God's calling on you is to be that singular voice and face for people to really feel that they can pour it out to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can do some of that, but you're, you're much better at that than I am. Yeah. As far as how, how have we changed? Um, Again, maybe these are not cons. These are just realities of where we are. But um, I, I would say probably we're a little more melancholy and sometimes a little more sad than we used to be. Mm. Um, you know, after, during his illness, but after he died, mm. I didn't know how sad a person could get. I, mm. I didn't know I could go that deep. You called it unstoppable sadness. Unstoppable sadness. Mm. And we're nowhere near that now. It's 12 mm. years later. But there are moments where we descend or can descend into that. And yeah. and again, I think it's just that reality that this world is not our home. Yeah. It's a broken place. And so there's a sadness sometimes to my life that maybe didn't used to be there. And I don't condemn that. I just say that's yeah. part of it. Yeah. And the other thing for me, I would say, would be um, there's a fear there or an anxiety there that didn't oh. used to be there. Um, you know, I, I would say, really, I had a pretty wrinkle-free life. Uh, for most of my life. Sure, we had ministry stuff going on. There's always stuff, right? But in a personal and family level, it just felt like smooth sailing. And then this storm hit. And for the first time in my life, I so now, for example, when our kids go out for an evening, our daughter was out last night, I'm, I'm not... You know, I'm not sitting there wringing my hands, looking out the window, but I'm aware mm. she's not home. Mm. And I feel uncomfortable until she is because I know, or we now know, stuff does happen. Right. People do get cancer. There are accidents. Right. So there's just this, um, and, and again, the, the good side of this is that that forces me and us to pray more. Mm-hmm. Uh, we exercise faith more than we ever have because mm-hmm. I find this fear and sometimes almost dread welling up inside of me as terms of what might happen or what could happen to our other kids or whatever. And uh, that didn't used to be there before our son got sick and died. Mm-hmm. It, it really is a, a new experience for me or for us. But again, it's it's actually drawn us closer to God, believe it or not, because it forces us back upon him every mm-hmm. single time. I, I would say, too, related to ministry, um, as the two of you would be well aware of, Ministry can be a very draining thing because you have people coming to you expecting that you will help them. Mm. You will counsel them. You will be the wise ones. You will be the experts. You will, you know, all of that. Uh, And by the way, we are not here today as any experts by any means. Um, We're just sharing our our Mm -hmm. story. But 
um, but in ministry, there were expectations, still are to this day, uh, that would draw from us from resources that, and I'm speaking for myself here, that I personally don't feel I have anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I, well goes dry a lot quicker uh, since mm-hmm. Ben's death than it ever has. Okay. My tolerance is way less. Okay. It might be the aging process too. I don't know. Um, we won't talk about that. I think that's another <laughs> seminar. But, um but the gas tank can more easily be uh, emptied. Yeah. Our capacity to care runs low a lot quicker mm. and faster. Um, and and I, I would say, another, were you going to add to that? Well, I was just going to say that, again, the, the positive side of that is that you learn learn to manage your boundaries. You yeah. learn to listen yes. to your body. You just yeah. know that you, you, have to, you have to balance life a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You can't go quite as hard as you used to when you're younger. And that's a good thing, actually, to have better yeah, balance. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the other thing, too, is um, what's really changed is my perspective of heaven, of our yeah. perspective yeah. of heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, heaven mm-hmm. is so real. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because heaven has the face called Ben, you know, mm-hmm. he was a great guy, but we've already told you that he wasn't a perfect guy. Mm-hmm. And so we long to see him again. But the fact that he's there, mm. the fact that he led us in conversations before he died about what he was seeing mm. uh, in his dreamlike state, he was seeing the colors of heaven. Mm. You know, um, he was seeing one day he just said, you know, I, I see that, that there's a smorgasbord. And we're like, who uses that word anymore, you know, outside of maybe Holland or something. I don't even know where it originated. German? Sweden? Sweden? Uh, but anyway, he said, there's a smorgasbord. And we're like, hmm. okay. But, you know, looking in hindsight, um, we really wonder mm-hmm. if he was having glimpses of mm-hmm. that banqueting table that the lamb is preparing for us, for mm-hmm. his children. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was giving us these glimpses of heaven that were preparing us for him to leave, but also to prepare a place for us to go. Yeah. And uh, what a beautiful thing. And Jesus has done that for us. He's prepared that place for us and is mm-hmm. still doing that. And the fact is, and this, this perspective really changed in me too, that, you know, you think that you're here on earth, here and now, you know, and then there and then when we get to heaven, but actually eternity starts here mm. now. Because God has planted eternity in our hearts, for one. Yeah. Uh, but in in one conversation that that we shared with Ben, it was very much a sense of, you know, Ben, it's going to be an eternity until we see you again. Mm. But for you, you're going to close your eyes here and wake up there. Yeah. And I said, I would like to think, Ben, because eternity has no time frame that when you wake up there, we're actually all going to be there with you. Right. You know. Um, and what a beautiful assurance to me to know, I mean, I don't think we're going to be lonely in heaven, but the fact is in heaven's eyes, I think we're all already there. All of the redeemed are already there and dining at that table and, you know, having that eternal party in heaven. Yeah, with a smorgasbord. And uh, so anyhow, what that has also done and how that's changed us is we get very homesick. And so it's not a suicidal thought, uh, but it is a definite longing that we are just passing through this. We're aliens here. And until we get to our heavenly home, we're not going to feel at home. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Wow, you guys, I, I can't even begin to thank you enough 
for sharing your story. And please, God, uh, don't this, what you've lived through is not what we expect anyone to have to go through. And it's the hardest thing that parents Hmm. could even imagine. And so I guess what I'm saying is what you've learned isn't just applicable to people who have gone through this tragedy or trauma. What you've learned is applicable to all people going through difficult times. Um, And it's almost like you have to go through the worst to be able to um, understand some truths that you, you guys have been able to articulate very, very well. And Mm -hmm. so I guess I just want to thank you on, on behalf of all of our listeners for being so honest about the, the hard things and the, um, the sweet things, the bittersweet things. Uh, I honestly believe there's something in this conversation for everyone. Um, probably the thing that struck me the most was, um, your ability to have honest conversations. And I think, man, if couples could figure out that piece and then of course have God in the, in their story, it just changes everything, I guess. Yeah. And one day we will all be changed. <laughs> yeah. This has been rich, you guys. And mm-hmm. uh, we're delighted to call you friends and fellow journeyers. And um, we hurt for your journey. We are uh, grateful for your uh, honesty and, mm-hmm. and that you've leaned on each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we honor Ben's memory. You honor Ben's memory by having this conversation. And uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. I hope you brought the many. Your books are thank also you. a gift, Lisa. The Ben Ripple, um, Choosing to Live Through Loss with Purpose and Dancing in the Rain, One Family's Journey Through Grief and Loss. They're both available through Amazon. Um, I just would strongly encourage our listeners to check those out. And a new one coming, Lisa. Um, everything mm-hmm. you wanted to know about ministry, but we're afraid to ask, <laughs> straight from the heart. <laughs> I had a yeah. Um, I had a chance to preview that yep. it's a beautiful book. I can't wait to see it on the shelves somewhere. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. On the website, on the digital whatever. shelves. Hey, yeah. speak, speaking of websites, everybody listening, uh, we encourage you to go to familylifecanada.com for all the resources that we have mm-hmm. there. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Everybody who's listening in. We hope to hear and visit with you again on another Family Life Canada podcast. And David and Lisa, we hope to meet you in person sometime. Uh, look that forward to that. Wonderful. <laughs> God bless you guys. God bless. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Bye for now. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.